MCU.html Reassembled is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things movies, media, TV, comics, music, and more. Check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey, everybody. You know, it wouldn't be an episode of HTML if there wasn't some sort of reference to Joey or talking about Joey or doing a Joey impression. So I'm going to do a Joey impression for you, everybody. Oh, boy. There it was. How did you guys like it? How did you guys like my Joey impression? It sounded spot on to me. I'm still doing it. Wow. That laugh, all me. Okay. Okay. So obviously by now, if you haven't caught on, I do an excellent Joey impression or he's here. One or the And other. I will be doing this episode. The part of Joey will be played by Nico for the entire run. And the part of Nico will be filled in by the swing actor, a cat chewing on a tin can. From the movie Cats. From the movie Cats. So I think this is off to an amazing start already, and I couldn't be more excited to have you here. Joey, the last time you graced our beautiful shores, it was to contend with the mighty nugget that was the Dark Phoenix. Or whatever the sound was, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Three episodes of that. Three episodes. Yeah, and what's funny is when I originally pitched it to you, because so what you guys don't see is... I pitch this nonsense to Joey, and then none of it comes out remotely like I pitch. But mm-hmm. I pitch Joey this nonsense, and I'm like, oh, I think we're going to do each X-Men movie as its own episode. And Joey was like, I'm not sure there's enough there. And I was like, you know, not for the way you're doing it with Phoenix, and but make sure. And if there is, go for it. And So then we compressed the trilogies down, and then Dark Phoenix turned into a trilogy. I do want to point out that there is an important middle step that you did not flesh out. So uh, step one, you pitch to me and I and we sort of you know negotiate what it's going to be step two Kevo spends a lot of time creating a beautiful illustrated schedule and calendar of when episodes are going to come out <laughs> step three you basically throw that calendar out and you're like we're going to wing it I work so much less hard on my calendar now than I used to I really do so but I get into these episodes and I'm like oh listen to the wealth of material we have it's such a mirth of magic I just want to explore every nook and cranny of this English muffin of a story. Now I'm hungry. Yeah, I really want English muffin pizzas now. Ooh. So, Joey, I am so happy you're here because you add an air of cinematic legitimacy to our nonsense discussions of superficial, superfluous superhero films. And I would love to get a true cinephile's opinion. Well, I am happy to help however I can. I'm a little afraid because I think my list is, to a certain extent, the opposite of Kevo's list. And I don't want to, you know, halt my or vault myself up or hold myself up on a pedestal as like a cinephile if my list is the opposite of Kevo's, because I feel like that's not fair to him. I think all of our lists are equal and all of our opinions are equal and they're all wonderful. That's to suggest that Kevo's opinion is necessarily concrete from day to day. (laughs) You never know what that idiot's 
it's going to say. Well, mm, hold too on. true. I want to point out how wonderful that idiot is, though. That idiot sometimes... Okay, so for instance, Kevo loves Josie and the Pussycats, the film Josie and the Pussycats. But if you say to him, Kevo, is Josie and the Pussycats a good movie? He'll go, no, it's it's not a good movie, but I love it. And Okay, that's important. So I, I don't think necessarily a ranking of your favorite films translates to a ranking of the films you think have the greatest quality. That's true too. That is. So, Joey, it's incredible because we've managed to be on multiple films by multiple studios with partnerships with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we've yet to do a Marvel Cinematic Universe film with you. We covered Spider-Verse mm-hmm. on one of your shows. Mm-hmm. We covered Dark Phoenix on one of our shows. Mm-hmm. And we've kidnapped you back here again for a fourth episode because I've become so large, I have my own gravitational pull. And I guess there's nowhere to start but the very bottom. So, Joey, Joey J, captain yes. of this ridiculous Fast and Furious ship. What is your least favorite Marvel movie? The Incredible Hulk. I'm going to point out one more time, Alpha Flight Mikey 100% put that at his number two film. I just really need to point that out one more time. I don't understand it. And I told you when you had announced on this show, on this very fine podcast a couple episodes ago, that someone you were going to talk to, someone you're going to get the list of, had this as his number two. I said, not only is that the wrong opinion, but it is so bad that I think I should cancel the series, cancel the show entirely because that can't get out into the universe. Like, that is cosmically the wrong opinion. But, you know, it's not, again, this is not a bad movie, but considering where else this goes, it's the worst movie. I would love bunch. to hear him defend why it's his number two. I'd be intrigued to listen and hear him out because I can't, I can't fathom it personally, but, you know, everything is made for someone and I it makes me happy for Edward Norton that someone likes him they really like him and the score is really really good well Craig Armstrong just always but and the visuals are actually really impressive for the time so there's things there's there's I guess it's like I guess it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle made out of knives maybe the end result is kind of pretty but what it takes to get there sure isn't worth it I don't want to bleed that much yeah fair 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 so what do you put at the double deuce 22 22 I have for the Dark World. Although, so here's an interesting thing. So there is, so eventually, and I think in, a, in three or so laps on Too Fast, Too Forever, our Fast and Furious podcast, the two of you are going to join Joe 2 and I are going to go all through those movies. So what's really interesting about the Fast and the Furious movies is that there's a couple moments or a couple characters that are confusing or unlikable in the moment, but then sort of get retrofitted or reworked or brought up again in a later movie that add meaning and depth and everything to the earlier movie, the earlier iteration. I really do wonder, you know, Thor The Dark World, knowing like, both Thor movies, because the other Thor movie is not super high on my list, but both Thor movies, this one especially, knowing that Thor Love and Thunder is coming, and knowing that Nat Port is going to be Mighty Thor, like, is this going to rise higher? That's what I'm most interested in in this entry right now. But otherwise, again, not bad, just not my cuppa. I need to point out, you come close to the most interesting question raised by the announcement of Natalie Portman donning the helm 
hammer and cape and stepping into the role of the God of Thunder. The most important question, of course, being, will we get Natalie Portman Raps 3 with her dressed as Thor swinging the hammer around? Oh, shit. Oh. I hope so. I hope so. I hope it's good. I really like Natalie Raps 2. So, you know, there's the fear that the third one will be disappointing. I genuinely think that Natalie Portman Raps is one of my favorite pieces of musical comedy. That's right up there with Key Change. Maya Rudolph's Key Change. Maya Rudolph's Key Change is one of the most perfect pieces of comedy ever. Another phenomenal piece of musical comedy is We'll Never Have Problems Again from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That's actually a really perfect piece of humor that lifts out of the show I haven't gotten to that well. yet. I it, need to watch that show. I haven't gotten to that yet. I am currently- It's a lot. Side note, side tangent right now, I'm currently making the two of you happy, uh, my two marshmallows, by watching the new Veronica Mars. So <laughs> in the realm, sort of, of the was once, is now, will forever be sort of kind of CW-ish. A long time um, but, ago we used to be friends. But I haven't thought of you lately at all. I don't know if you've caught it, but I am Veronica Mars. That's all I ever wanted to be with my life. And when I met Kristen Bell the first time, and I say it that way because- The first time? Look at you shrugging that off so casually. And I say that because, well, I've only met her the once. Mm, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's just the first time. I said to her- Okay. Because I, I don't get celebrity. Like, that doesn't happen to me. That was one of the reasons at Disney I was positioned where I was because I don't- It's not that I don't care because, like, obviously when someone means a lot to me, it means a lot to me, but I understand that a celebrity wants to be treated like a human being when they're in situations that require to be treated like a human being. And it's okay to fan out a little bit at a meet and greet, but I still would like to keep my composure, even though that is the place to fan the fuck out. So when I met Kristen Bell, she was one of the very few people that I like stammered over. And I I said to her, this was right after season two of Heroes. And I said to her, if gay marriage becomes legal, would you get a sex change and marry me? Like, I couldn't figure out how to say (laughs) I want to marry you. But I'm gay. But I'm gay. Like, I couldn't. I was so fucking moved by looking at her. And stammered. I wasn't here for this. Thank God. I probably would have helped him a lot more. And that never (laughs) happens to me. I never say those sort of things. I'm always composed. And she took my hands and held them close and said, done and donner. Aww. And then we took the photo op and it was really cool. And then I walked over and I met Hayden Panettiere and I didn't have a Veronica Mars level connection with her. So it was one of those things where the celebrity just saw you basically shit your pants over the celebrity before them. And then you get to them and you're like, hi, you're the cheerleader. Sign this. I also have a Hayden Panettiere story. When I was working at Best Buy, she and Mark Sanchez, who were, they were apparently not dating, but I think they were dating, but they were not dating. They came in at like 8.45 on a Tuesday night. This is probably 2010, early 2011. And they both came into Best Buy and everybody in the store, like there's no one else in the store because the store closed at nine. So they knew exactly when they could show up. And all of the employees were like, oh my God, there's celebrities here. And they're sort of like, you know, creepily at a distance following everybody around and I'm closing up the computer section or whatever. And then Hayden lies down on the floor in the middle of the DVD. Section. People go up there like, are you, are you okay? And she says, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm just laying down. Like, oh, cool. And then they buy movies and leave. But like, why? what kind of weirdo? Kristen Dell would never do that. I guess that's the moral of the story. Kristen Dell would never do that. I had this co-worker, Kitty. And Kitty was in her mid-40s. And she was like, can I speak to the manager hair in a two-piece? And it was a lot to accept. But mm-hmm. she was also a hypochondriac and manically needed attention. And one day, she just wasn't getting enough attention 
attention from people. And she just suddenly goes, oh no, I'm passing out. And really <laughs> calmly lays down on the floor and keeps going, oh no, I've passed out. And at that point, my head teller, just, my head teller goes, step over her. And just gets <laughs> back to work, stepping over her with her literally on the floor behind the counter going, I've passed out. I'm passed out. <laughs> Was she okay? Are we allowed Are we allowed to laugh about it? Oh, we're very allowed to laugh about it. Okay, that's good. And you know, I honestly feel like she was 20 years old. Hayden Penetier, not this, not this manager person. That's the kind of weird, dumb shenanigans that you do when you're 20 and kind of want attention. And frankly, if you're a celebrity, no one's going to stop you as much as they would a normal 20-year-old. It's weird, but you know, that's kids. That's why kids are obnoxious. Okay. I also do, while we are still in the midst of not counting on the movies, I just saw a news story uh, that you see this I don't know if you saw this yet Marvel's Kevin Feige thinks Scarlet Witch could have taken down Thanos single-handedly agreed it's what we say in the episode she lit he literally needed an armada I genuinely believe without question yeah. that no stones Doctor Strange Scarlet Witch and Carol could take down Thanos and that's actually good to hear because a few years ago he made some comments about how Doctor Strange is probably more refined with his powers than Wanda and some people have taken that as him saying that she's not as powerful as him but i don't think that that even comes across in the movies let alone should that be a thing so yeah i i would say it seemed like she probably could have taken him on if he hadn't gone after his own dudes to try and stop her cool i think we're all in agreement there you will so okay wait so wait 23 was the incredible why 22 was thor the dark what and what's Mm -hmm. 21 21 21 is a movie that surprised me for how low it was on my list because I liked it a lot more the first time. Ant-Man. I was gonna guess Ant-Man! Sorry, I was gonna guess Ant-Man. yeah. That's really fascinating. What knocked the rudder down the list? Here's how I rewatched these, because I had been wanting to rewatch these in the lead-up to Infinity War, and it didn't happen, then in the lead-up to Endgame, and it actually did, because you guys came around and sort of gave me a quote-unquote reason to rewatch them. And so I was watching along with you guys on a one-by-one, week-by-week basis, and then I fell behind for a while, and then all of a sudden I had like seven movies to watch. And I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna watch 14 this weekend. I did like three on a Friday night and like five and f- like, maybe even more than like, I watched most of these over a four day stretch. I remember that weekend. Yes. And Kevo, you said to me that I'm your type of friend or something like that because that's essentially two seasons of TV and anybody who has that much time on their hands to watch just stuff, uh, someone you want to know. So yes. I agree. Like, it is, when you're into a binge like that, it is a thing of beauty. And I feel like some of these movies, like Ant Man, hold up better, not under the binge. Like, it kind of just feels incomplete consequential in a way. I also, and I'm going to get to this later, I mean, obviously I haven't gotten to it yet because we've only done the three movies I haven't mentioned yet, but when I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp, I didn't, in the theaters, I didn't like it that much because especially after Infinity War, it kind of felt, again, inconsequential. It's like, well, why? Like, I know it's sort of the palate cleanser. It's the, hey, something traumatic just happened. Let's have a little fun. I get that. I get the purpose of that. But when I was watching all these movies in a row, the first Ant-Man didn't feel as meaningful or as cool or as fun as I had remembered it being. And so, again, not bad, just compared to what else is to come, not my favorite. And I think that is one of the dramatic realities you run into with films like these. When you try to stack movies that are made by different narrative voices trying to ape the same six architects, it gets really tricky. It's one of my favorite assignments to make my kids do, where I would have them all close their eyes, or at least not look at each other's papers, and draw based on my out loud instructions. And I would say, okay, you all followed the exact same instructions, everybody should have identical 
identical pictures, right? And in so many ways, it's all the same pieces. We've talked about the patterns and formulas that have emerged over and over again and how they've really driven the Marvel Cinematic Universe into this incredibly repeated format. And it's one of the reasons that Black Panther was able to be so successful. I mean to take nothing from the brilliance of Black Panther or Ryan Coogler. And I think part of the genius that he created was in designing a film that referenced back on 16 movies and played against them. He didn't just create a movie of Afrofuturism. He didn't just create a film that questioned post-colonial ideas in a world that treats black people like a second class. He questioned them through the lens of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that was a stroke of genius. Yeah, and it'll be very high on my list. But yes, I agree with all of those things. You know, I feel like there isn't much more to say negative about Ant-Man that isn't just you're boring. So yeah. I guess my question for you then, good sir, mm-hmm. before you give me your top three, do you have any honorable mentions for me? Let's see here, let's see here, let's see here. So I am, the two that I'm unsure of are the two that I've only seen once, and the two most recent ones. It's Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. Right now I have Endgame at six and I have Spider-Man Far From Home at 14. I think that those two are more in flux than everything else. I think that those two could rise higher. Like after I saw Endgame originally, I think I had it maybe number two or number three and it just sort of slipped down. I think it is incredible. I think you guys covered it in a beautiful way. Like just listening to you two talk about it literally gave me chills because you were so specific in your praise of how perfect of a culmination this movie is. And so I don't know truly how well it works as a movie on its own. That said, I think Endgame as a almost culmination, as I guess Far From Home is the true culmination, but the end piece, the end game, whatever, to the Infinity War, the Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity Infinity Saga, the first three phases, I think it is this beautiful culmination that we have never seen before. Like, nothing like this has ever been done, as far as I know, in movies. Like, combining all of these characters and these worlds into a single story where everything matters. I think it's amazing. Spider-Man Far From Home, I liked it a lot. I don't know that it's super important. It's I think it, I like it more than, for instance, Ant-Man and the Wasp, or other movies that come immediately following this, like, heavy, big, quote-unquote, important movie. Only other one I want to call out, because I had it originally Originally, I was saying for a while that it was my favorite Marvel movie, my favorite MCU movie was Iron Man 3. And I know that Iron Man 3 is... Where, where do you guys fall on Iron Man 3? I remember you liking it. I know that some other movies that we're going to talk about in my top three, you guys don't necessarily like as much as me, but where remind me where you fell on Iron Man 3. I think Iron Man 3 watches really well, but I think it doesn't have a true home in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Part of what happens when they neuter these directors and their vision is you get this light version of what they were going for. And that very half-aimed version doesn't do a lot for me. I can't think of where it is exactly on my list, but if I had to guess, I would assume it's somewhere around 14 Okay, I have it at eight. Kevin, I can't place a number on it off the top of my head, but I would say it is probably at least somewhere toward the upper end of the middle. It's something that I enjoy a lot. I think there's some odd traps and tropes that it falls into that I am not the biggest fan of, but it's it's cute fun. It's got a lot of things that I like. I really enjoy Tony being without his suit and still mm-hmm. prevailing. I like the seeds that it sets 
gets for his future relationship with Peter Parker down the line, who he yes. will pass the mantle mm-hmm. of Iron Man onto in a lot of ways. It's certainly not one of my favorites, but, you know, I look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe holistically where I can. Yep, I think keeping in mind that my favorite character, and I think, I don't know if it's, I know it's not everybody's favorite character, but I feel like in my mind it should be because I feel like the MCU has legitimacy in a lot of ways because of Robert Downey Jr. and specifically his portrayal of Iron Man and Tony Stark. Like, I am a fan of these movies as much as I am because of him, because of that role, because of that performance. So aside from Iron Man 2, which is low on the list just because it's not as bad as I remembered it being, because I think the internet sort of hates that for some reason. It's low on the list, but like basically everything else that Iron Man or Tony Stark or Robert Downey is like a big part of is very high on my list. And I love Iron Man 3 specifically because it doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. It doesn't feel like an Iron Man movie, but it is both of those things. It's a Shane Black movie. I love Shane Black's other movies. I love that it's a Christmas movie. I love that it's weird. I love that it is just sort of like dirtier in ways than the rest of the Marvel movies. Like I feel like that movie would not be made today. I think that they're doing other things and sort of, you know, unconventional things and mixing things up and doing different things. But I feel like this weird version of this story that was told by Shane Black came at kind of the only time that it ever could have. And I just love that it is sort of the weird redheaded stepchild of this franchise. And I think because it doesn't feel like the rest, I like it even more. I think it would be done today, but I think it would be done radically differently. I think at the time they were trying to homogenize all of the MCU films, so it stuck out. And now they are sort of trying to explore different genres to view MCU films through. And so now it would have been done on purpose. And so they probably would have leaned in a little bit more to a lot of the Shane Black isms that were instead perhaps tamped down to make it sort of forcibly fit into the MCU. I would agree with that. I think, and I I keep saying this, and I don't know if I've said this to you guys or not, but I think that we are now at a point, and I hope, I kind of hope that I'm wrong in one of those regards, in one of these regards, but I think we're at a point now with the MCU where we're never going to have a bad MCU movie, but I don't know that we're ever going to have an amazing MCU movie anymore. Like, I feel like Marvel has kind of figured out what works and what doesn't work, and they're going to do that thing and make a billion dollars, and it's going to be a fun movie that you're going to want to watch and you're going to enjoy watching, but I don't know if I were ever going to get the kind of movies that are in my top three, top four, just because I feel like it's, you know, they they sort of have the formula, and I think that's what people don't like about the movies, but that's also, I think, what a lot of people do like about the movies, like they feel comfortable, and they're fun, and they're well-made, and like Spider-Man Far From Home, I think, is a perfect example of that. Like, it's not, I don't think you can look at this and say it's a bad movie, but it's also not, you know, one of the most memorable Marvel movies. It's like a, oh, that was fun. I liked liked Tom Holland. I loved Tom Holland. The story was fine. Jake Gyllenhaal was cool, but, you know, it's not going to stand out, I don't think. And part of the problem is if it does stand out, I don't know that it stands out on the quality of the film as much as it stands out on the quality of the relationship and the dynamic chemistry between Jakey G and Tommy Holly. Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. Are you ready for my top three? Yeah, no, because I was about to be like, wait, did I miss your number three? I'm so confused! No, yeah, no. we've not done my top three yet. Three me. Three me. Number three, I am, sorry, Kevo, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Why are you apologizing? I don't care. I know, I know, but I, I know that when, so it, 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 I want people to like the things that I like, and I think that for the most part, I mean, obviously you guys like all these movies because you have a podcast about them, and you wouldn't want to talk about them without liking them, uh, but I, I remember listening to that episode, and you just saying, like, this is not the kind of movie that I generally enjoy, I can appreciate that it's well made, but 
but it didn't really work for me. And I was like, oh, I wish that it did, because I love this movie so much. I think there's a possibility that this is the best made MCU movie. Well, talk to me about what you love about it. Talk to me about what does it for you. I think that just like Iron Man 3 doesn't feel like a Marvel movie, I feel like this kind of doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. I think this is a very tight sort of 70s spy thriller. I think it also weaves in amazing moments, both character moments and both, you know, Marvel moments, like the elevator scene is fucking cool as hell. And I just love everything about it. I mean, as much as I am on Team Stark, I do love Cap in these early movies before Cap sort of becomes, I guess, disillusioned with the way things are going and then sort of acts as that foil to Tony. Cap here, like it just, you know, we have the original Captain America movie, which I liked, but is low on my list. And then this and adding Falcon and adding Widow and just all of it coming together in such a beautiful way. And it just works for me about both as like a spy movie, but also as this Marvel movie. And you guys have said it a lot on the podcast, Captain America movies always sort of kind of feel like Avengers movies, both this one and Civil War. And this, I just, I just really dig this one. And, you know, I... I think that mostly means that they did a good job of what they were trying to do because everything you're saying about it being a good spy film and specifically 70s spy film, that's what they were going for. So, yeah. you know, it's it's funny. I didn't really realize until adulthood that for as much as Buffy the Vampire Slayer was one of my favorite shows of all time, I was never really into horror and I sort of love Buffy despite it. And that's sort of how I feel about the latter two Captain America uh, films. I'm not really into that sort of spy thriller type film as a rule, but I do enjoy Marvel. I enjoy the character of Captain America, and he makes me enjoy the film, at least, so that's good. My biggest qualm with Winter Soldier is mostly the weird use of Bucky. The movie is named after him, but he barely yeah. speaks in the entire damn thing. Yeah. Like, maybe if it had been, like, The Fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something, I don't know, but it wasn't really the Captain Winter America, Soldier. Captain America, Hail Hydra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's my number three. I also think part of what makes that movie such a, I guess, divisive film is the fact that the elevator sequence is cool and lifts out of the film completely. The helicopter sequence is cool. And, oh wait, no, that's Civil War. There's a helicopter sequence in Winter Soldier, though. He jumps it over, he jumps over it with a motorcycle. Oh, cool. Helicopters (laughs) for every movie. But I think the cool parts lift out. They're not like, Cap fighting Iron Man with the shield. And they're not like, Thanos doing a merry number and they're you know they're just cool moments and those cool moments are cool and they're enough to keep you in the film but if that's not yep. what you're looking for you're stuck with that lot. I also do want to like I, I another thing that I really appreciate about Endgame and I think Endgame is sort of in a lot of ways the best sort of fan service because it's like we know that you love these movies we know that you love these characters let's go back to some of these iconic scenes and sort of you know time travel our way through them and then you guys talked about this for a while them on the elevator going back in Endgame back to that and we have new cap modern day cap on there and he sort of knows how to you know get through to them and just says hail hydra and walks off like that is so cool because you know everyone who's seen these movies knows that scene sort of even if you don't know like i just sort of vaguely know from like i know of the comics that cap goes he joins hydra or i don't know if it's for real or undercover or whatever like i don't even need to know that i just know something happened we do not exactly. discuss secret empire but yes but yeah like i mean like i just love that that like that's such an iconic such a standalone scene that they then return to an end 
Endgame also. Side note again for Endgame, I do want to have it on record. I think I, I know for sure I told the both of you after I watched the movie, but my favorite moment in Endgame is the line, she has help. Because you guys, and it was specifically because of this podcast, because I think I had known deep down that these this franchise started off not being very good to women and only having three named characters in the first four movies, and things were not great. But the way that you guys hammered home the lack of representation, and then all of a sudden we get to the 23rd installment, 22nd installment, whatever, and she has help, and then there's, um, I think you said there's a full minute of female characters showing up, and it's just cool. Like, that's just the, it's fan service in a way that is fan service, but also important fan service. Like, hey, we know what the fans want, and here you go, and if you have problems with it, I don't care. That's the best moment of Endgame. That might be the best moment of any of the Marvel movies. Like, it's just, this again, perfect culmination of building toward a more representative, you know, field of heroes. One of the things I love the most about the MCU is the way in which it makes me feel like a kid again, and makes me think of how I would have reacted when I was a kid if these amazing movies had come out and we had been playing these characters on the schoolyard and I think back to my reactions when I was a kid and I think this moment of these 10 I think the number was women coming together on the battlefield together this girl power moment is exactly something that they would have done in 1994 or 1995 and I would have loved it back then too we wouldn't have questioned ugh all these girls show up at the same time no I would have just cheered and I hope everyone sitting around me would have cheered too because it's just cool and fun and why shouldn't we celebrate these powerful women there's 10 straight minutes of thor iron man and captain america fighting thanos why shouldn't yep. there be just one moment of all these women teaming up and kicking ass yeah i loved it i loved it number two this is going to be not a tense conversation but the most divisive between me and the two of you guardians of the galaxy volume two talk about two. why talk about why i was thinking about re-watching it today or yesterday knowing that i was going to record this and i didn't get a chance to i loved the first guardians of the galaxy i loved the weirdness of it i think behind iron man rocket is my favorite character in the mcu i just love his story i love his portrayal i don't generally love or i sort of i'm sort of neutral to bradley cooper in a lot of things but i love bradley cooper in rocket here i love the way that rocket has sort of been grown and built and you know evolves through the movies one of the biggest surprises to me while re-watching the movies was how much less i enjoyed not wildly less but less i enjoyed the first guardians it just didn't work for me as much i still enjoyed it it's still middle ish of my list but the second one i feel like takes everything i like from the first one adds kurt russell adds even more beautiful crazy colors adds the father-son story that i think like you guys talked about is both genuine and the mockery like the them playing catch like i think it's done in this weird not underhanded way but this sort of twisted way where it's it means both what you think it means and also what you don't think it means i love baby groot a lot i love sylvester stallone in the movie for like a minute or two like i like that there's just this weird world like the whole cosmics element of it the guardians and the new thor like especially where thor is going with ragnarok and also doctor strange like i like that the marvel cinematic universe is getting weirder and i think that guardians 2 takes everything i like from the first movie does it better and also is just prettier and funnier and cooler and also did i mention baby Groot? and like here's the thing i love about what you're saying that's why the marvel universe exists in this capacity i'm going to say something that might rock the format of our show to its very fucking core but i'm a huge marvel fan i'm a huge x-men fan mm -hmm. it is not my responsibility to buy every x-men book it's not it is not my responsibility to single-handedly carry the comic book industry on my back it is not my wallet's responsibility to make sure that this franchise thrives on every level it is my responsibility to support art i believe in. and it's okay for me not to care for guardians or guardians 2 and 
still want to see the franchise succeed. I'll definitely shoot at money either on Blu-ray or in the theaters, but I probably won't do the other one if I don't love it that much, especially with options like Disney Plus making it so easy, sponsor us, to... make it so easy to watch these things whenever you want i can't imagine feeling like i need to go out and buy a movie if i don't love it these days and a movie like guardians i like it but i don't love it fair and you know i'll be honest and i might actually rock some people to their core i do genuinely enjoy the guardians of the galaxy franchise a lot more than i let on i don't think that it's you know garbage or anything i think that it is deeply problematic at times, I think that it is sort of a pickle rick type situation. I think if you are able to watch and enjoy problematic fiction while understanding and recognizing what's problematic about it, that's one thing. But too many people just think that pickle rick is funny and that that's something that you scream when you jump on a fast food counter while trying to demand a limited edition sauce out of that vendor. Like, if you're gonna be a garbage person, I don't want you to have garbage people that you think of as heroes. I don't think that that's something that I can feel positive about supporting. But if you are able to recognize that the Guardians are all deeply flawed people, that Drax for as funny as he is, is actually truly dangerous and an enormous liability. If you are able to recognize the ways in which Peter Quill is a stunted man-child, and mm-hmm. there are good things about him, but there's a lot of negative things about him. And if you can if you can look at the whole thing holistically, you know, I do enjoy the franchise but i think too many people just find peter quill emulatable and that troubles me and that's the only reason that i think i keep it from being higher in my enjoyability rankings i also think that the criticism that one or both of you have sort of levied against it that they all sort of sound like james gunn is valid i think that it works for me like i don't mind that but i totally understand that as a hey this could be better if they were a little bit separate characters like i think that's true of archer though that's true of a lot of things Oh that yeah, I love. for you sure. Know, any Aaron Sorkin show. I just think I think with all these movies that there's genuine. I mean, maybe maybe not Incredible Hulk, uh, but I think there are genuine like there are reasons that it could be someone's favorite, and there's also something or reasons that it could be someone's least favorite. I think it's true of like everything you watch. Like I always have a weird thought. Like if I watch a thing that I don't like, there's enough people on this planet that that is whatever that episode of TV or that movie or that show or that song or that book is someone's favorite whatever, and that is I think a good way to look at the world like people find like they all have different experiences and they all like things differently and i think it's just about kind of i guess the point of podcasts i don't know is just to like have a conversation and not be like this is this sucks this is shitty if you like this you're a dumb person or on the other hand this is perfect there's not a flaw with it if you don't like this you're an idiot like i think that there's validity in just having you know relatively civil discourse and having conversations about things and sort of being able to sort of objectively talk about you know why things are good or bad and I think, you know, what I love about Guardians, people might not, or what I don't, you know, I don't love about Thor The Dark World, people might love. I don't know. You know what I mean? So, yeah. You know, and I should and have it, known this couldn't have been a segment of an episode. <laughs> I had to know. You had, I had to, know. to know. I had to know. So, I guess I want to say that one of the things I've loved about doing this show is our discourse after each episode has been such an elucidating process because this isn't the first time I've heard you, for lack of a better term, defend Guardians and Guardians 
response to. And the more mm-hmm. you talk about your response to my response, the more I understand where you're coming from. And I really enjoy hearing you tell me why Guardians means what it means to you because you have an emotional component to Guardians. And I think that's really special. Yeah, thank you. I feel like we are in uh, Martin Starr's mock trial class. I don't know if he teaches mock trial, but I feel like we are in Spider-Man's high school and we are in mock trial where we're, you know, point, counterpoint, rebuttal. He does mock trial in that episode of Community that he's in. Mm. So at least at one point in his career, he played a teacher who does mock debate. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I also do want to separately, since I know this is no longer segment, but its own thing, its own beast entirely, Zendaya is doing fucking incredible work on Euphoria. Uh, I am ready for her to be in everything and anything she wants to do. More Zendaya, please. As long as she wants to do the thing. Like, don't just force her in things. But her as MJ is great. Her in Euphoria is great. Her in Greatest Showman is great. More Zendaya, please. That is literally one of the ways we decided to do this show. So, yes. But now I gotta know, man. I gotta know. Hit me with your number one. Do you have any guesses? I think it's obvious. Iron it should Man. be obvious. No. Iron Man's my number five. Other guesses. What's bigger than Iron Man, I guess? Tony Stark. <laughs> the whole I think what you said that you sort of chopped out. What'd you say? I joke Tony Stark, but I guess Avengers Assemble? Avengers Assemble, number one. I think I think there are, there's justification for both the first Iron Man, the very first movie in the MCU, and Avengers both to be the best movie, my favorite movie. I think, again, both of those are just Iron Man. I think that there is just something wildly special about the way that they all come together, the way that Joss Whedon tells that story of these five different characters, the way that, like, if the first Iron Man or the first Avengers does not work the way they work, we're not here talking about these movies. Like, I think it's the portrayal, it's the construction of the movies, it is the way that you feel for these characters in Avengers, in the first Avengers, the way that they all have been sort of introduced and they're, you know, to me, as someone who did not grow up on Marvel Comics, I don't know that, you know, for instance, some of these characters aren't the most popular characters. Like, I don't know that they're sort of, and again, I still don't quite know, but like, to me, you know, the Marvel Universe, the Marvel world, is Iron Man and Cap and Spider-Man and X-Men. Like, that's like the big four. I know that's not necessarily true, like, that's not an always been true. But the way that they're able to take these four or five movies before this and coalesce them into this wonderful movie that is, you know, only probably rivaled by Endgame in terms of everything. Like, I think Civil War is sort of near-ish, whatever, but Avengers and then Endgame, the first and then Endgame, are both these incredible ways of juggling all these different stories and storylines and characters and motivations and ways that they interact and I think it's because this Avengers works so well that these became what they became. And I think that it creates an unarguable blueprint for the rest of the Marvel Universe. And I honestly think it lays out the groundwork. There could be no other, there could not be the Marvel Universe as we know it today if Avengers hadn't forged the sword so clearly in the first place. Yeah. I also do want to point out how, like, I wrote down in one previous review on Letterboxd where I have my entire list ranked. Um, I'm at Soul Popped over there, basically everywhere on the internet. But it feels effortless. Like, there's so much going on and it all just comes together in a way that just how is this like how does how does Joss Whedon make it seem so easy like how is there this much going on in a movie that's almost three hours long and it flies by like it is incredible I think I think part of the magic of Avengers Assemble that makes the movie so fluid is we've never gotten this constructed idea of a super team made of people we knew before we'd had super teams in some capacity we'd had heroes we'd known before but it was never this larger than life big scale lead up and they promised it would be cool and they managed to deliver and I think that really is what's important. It was cool. So Joey, I want to thank you so much for coming out, man. It is always incredible to get to have you out here on HTML and we had you on every episode
episode of Dark Phoenix somehow. And now we've kind of had you on every Marvel movie in a weird, magical way. And please tell the audience at home where they can find you all over your own network. Well, so I host the the, the shows, the most important shows to know about is that every Friday I do the Tom Tom Club, alternating Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. Two different podcasts there. And then every other Tuesday, for now, Too Fast, Too Forever, the Fast and the Furious podcast, watching those eight or almost, actually by the time this comes out, nine movies on repeat forever. Very exciting. Uh, you can find all the shows that I host at cageclub.me slash joey, and I'm at soulpop just about everywhere on, everywhere on the internet, including Letterboxd, where you can find all 23 Marvel movies, MCU movies, ranked. Amazing, as always, sir. And Kevo, IRL host of the show, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitters and Instagrams at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. You can also find me on the Facebook page for this lovely show, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. And you can find the super fun, super inclusive superhero stories that Nico and I produce with our team over at the Demon Hotel on KidRideComics.com. Nico, where can everyone find you? You can actually find me with that super cool comic book, as well as Kevo, all over the East Coast this fall. Things like FlameCon in August, NYCC, and FIT's Diversity Con in October. You can also find me here on the Cage Club Network on shows like Now and Again and X's for Podcasts, where I talk about pop music and X-Men comics, respectively. And don't forget to check me out on Instagram over at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right. Well, until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Bye.